Chambers, the author of the devotional guide, My Utmost for His Highest, said, he said these words, the great thing about faith in God is it keeps a person undisturbed in the midst of the disturbance. And we know this is true for you and for me this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. We know as followers of Jesus that life is full of disturbances. Things don't work out the way we planned. People don't do what we expect them to do. We don't say the things we wanted to say. We don't do the things we wanted to do. The changes that we've been hoping for aren't happening. Unwanted circumstances crash into our lives. Disturbances happen. Faith in God helps to keep us undisturbed in the midst of our disturbances. Our faith in God helps to steady us in our storms. Our faith in God helps to keep us calm in the midst of our chaos. Our faith in God reminds us that God is with us, that God is watching over us, that God will strengthen and sustain us as we rely on him. Our faith in God reminds us that God is greater. Amen? Say that with me. God is greater. Our faith in God reminds us day by day, every step of our way, God is greater. David, the psalmist of Israel, he agreed and he said in Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep the Lord in mind always because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. As we keep God in mind always, as we think about God every day throughout our day, we're reminded that the Lord God Almighty is at our right hand. And therefore, we know and understand we will not be shaken by the disturbances of life. This is a comforting truth for you and me. This is an encouraging truth for you and me. This is a freeing truth for you and me. This is also a motivating truth for you and me. Our faith in God reminds us that God is greater. And we're going to see this once again in this passage we're looking at this morning. Open your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're not already there, move there to that passage. We are continuing our study of uh, this fantastic letter that Paul wrote to the believers of the church in Thessalonica years ago. Uh, we know and understand Paul's words to these believers years ago are still true for you and me today. Let me remind us once again this morning that God's word is not meant just to inform us. God's word is meant to transform us into the likeness of Jesus as we put his word into action in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so part of the point here of listening to this word as we're listening to the Holy Spirit teach us this truth is so that we can receive it and then put it into action in our lives this day and this week. So Father God, we thank you once again for bringing us here this morning at the beginning of this new week. God, you have given us a great start to this new week. Uh, there's no better place to be than right here with you, Father, uh, among loved ones and learning from you uh, and getting our orders from you, Father God, as we seek to minister to the congregations that you have given to us this day and this week. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. Father, open, your, open our minds, open our eyes to the truth of your word. 
And as you speak to us, God, give us the courage to do exactly what it is you ask us to do. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to look here in chapter 2. We walked into the front door, uh, into the front room of chapter 2 last Sunday. And as we walked into the front room of chapter 2 and made ourselves comfortable, we learned that Paul's faith in God kept him undisturbed in the midst of his disturbances. We see in verse 1, Paul wrote these words, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. And so Paul identifies some points for us. Let's look at these real quickly. The first point we see is Paul emphasized his relationship with the believers. The believers here in the church in Thessalonica, they knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy because Paul, Silas, and Timothy stayed with them and ministered to them during their three-week long or longer stay in Thessalonica. These believers were family with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were brothers and sisters by faith in Christ Jesus. The believers of the church in Thessalonica could trust Paul's words because they had seen Paul's walk. They knew he was a man of integrity. And so as they were reading these very words that we are reading this morning, they could trust these words because they knew that Paul was trustworthy. The second point we see is Paul emphasized God's power among the believers. Paul said, our first visit was not without result. This means our first visit was not in vain. It was not fruitless. It was not a waste of time. It was not a failure. Paul knew what we know now looking at this passage this morning, that God was at work in the church in Thessalonica as the Thessalonians were turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God's power was on display in this church. Paul rejoiced in God's power on display in this church. Paul rejoiced in the fact, as he told us in chapter 1, that this church, the believers in this church, they became a model, an example for other believers and other churches to follow, literally throughout the Roman world. And so Paul knew that he was close to these believers, that God was at work in these believers. He continued in verse 2. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Paul said, our, vi our first visit, our visit to you was not without result. It was not fruitless. It was not a failure. On the contrary, it was a huge success. Paul and Silas, as we learned last Sunday extensively, Paul and Silas suffered outrageous treatment in Philippi before they made their way to Thessalonica. They were publicly stripped, humiliated, beaten, and flogged without the due process of law, without being able to have a trial, without being able to defend themselves against the charges that were being brought against them. As Paul said in verse 2, they were emboldened by God. That means they were freed up by God, they were strengthened by God to preach the gospel of God fearlessly in spite of the great opposition they faced in Philippi and again in Thessalonica. Paul reminded these believers here in verse 2 of uh, this simple truth that he is reminding us of this morning. And that is the Christian life is not the easy life. The Christian life is the blessed life. The Christian life 
is the best life, but the Christian life is not the easy life. Listen, living for Jesus in a world opposed to Jesus and living in rebellion against Jesus will result in opposition and trials and even times of suffering for us as followers of Jesus. This word opposition at the end of verse 2 in the Greek language, it's from the word agon, which is the word we get our English word agony from. So you begin to get a sense of what Paul was saying here. The opposition, the agony that Paul, Silas, and Timothy faced did not stop them from preaching the gospel of God courageously, boldly, and fearlessly. We know that God was at work in and through and around Paul, Silas, and Timothy. God emboldened Paul, Silas, and Timothy to fulfill his plan for them. We know today that God is at work in us, through us, and around us. Therefore, we also can be confident in knowing that God will embolden us to fulfill his plan for us. And so we see Paul continued in verse 3 as we make our way into this next passage this morning. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Paul said for, if you stop there in verse 3 with for, for connects verse 2 to verse 3 and then the verses beyond. Paul notice, follow me, Paul shared the how of their ministry in verse 2. How did they preach the gospel of God in spite of great opposition? The answer, they did it by the power of God at work in their lives. They were emboldened by God. Paul is going to answer the why of their ministry in verse 4. Before we can get to verse 4, before we can hear the answer to the question why, Paul addressed some potential critics of their ministry. So we see the next point here in this passage is Paul defended his ministry to the believers. He defended his ministry to the believers. We see this beginning in verse 3. Paul said, for our exhortation. Exhortation means our message, our preaching and teaching ministry. Paul said, for our exhortation, our message, our preaching and teaching ministry didn't come from. There's a double negative there. Didn't come from in the original language. That literally means for our exhortation, for our message, for our preaching and teaching ministry, absolutely, positively didn't come from, and Paul listed three sources. Paul defended the truthfulness, the reliability of their message and ministry to the believers in the church in Thessalonica here, beginning in verse 3. Paul's defense highlighted, follow me, the difference between their message and ministry and the message and ministry of the false teachers. Because we've already learned in our study of chapter 1 many different things, but one of the things we've already learned in our study of chapter 1 is idolatry 
And false teachers were prevalent in Paul's day just like they are in our day. Remember, the Thessalonians were turning to God from what? Idols. To serve the living and true God. And so we see, obviously, there were critics. Obviously, there were those who were opposed to Paul's teaching of the true word of God. There were those who were making accusations against Paul to discredit Paul so that folks would follow them rather than God, who was using Paul to draw people to him. And so the false teachers were trying to discredit Paul. And so Paul here, in verse 3 and following, he defended his and Silas and Timothy's ministry to the believers. And he did so by responding to three potential criticisms that we see here in verse 3. So let's look at these real quick. Number one, the first point that Paul made was Paul said, our message was not false. He said, for our exhortation didn't come from error. Their message was not faulty. Their message, that literally means error, literally means their message did not lead people away from God. Paul knew wrong teaching leads to wrong living. Paul knew our beliefs determine our behavior. Paul's message was from God. Paul spoke God's message to God's people in God's strength for God's glory. Paul's message, his preaching and teaching ministry, was divinely designed to lead people to God instead of away from God like the false teachers. Paul warned the believers in New Testament churches often, here in Thessalonica and in the other churches. He warned them often about the dangers of false teachers and their false teaching. If you want to just look at one instance, we turn to the right. All you got to do is turn, probably my guess is a few pages, two or three pages to your right, and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul actually, as he was commissioning Timothy, who was with him in Thessalonica, so he kind of knew what was going on. He actually, in commissioning Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, listen to what Paul said. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Paul, Silas, and Timothy correctly taught God's word which led the believers in Thessalonica to correctly live out God's word. This was the first and most prominent accusation against Paul. This was the number one point that Paul wanted to make. Our message was not from error. Our message was not false. Our message was not faulty. Our message did not lead people away from the truth of God's word. Because Paul understood and realized his greatest responsibility from Almighty God was to preach the word in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when it's popular, when it's not popular. And so he said, our message was not false. Second point he said here is our motives were not impure. Not only our message was not false, our motives were not impure. Paul said, for exhortation did not come from impurity. Impurity often in the New Testament means and refers to a lack of morals. It refers to sexual sins, sexual misconduct, lustful living. And the false teachers in this day would often uh, promote 
sexual impurity within their false teaching. Believe it or not, they would promote sexual impurity, sexual misconduct with temple prostitutes, as well as sexual impurity with the false teachers themselves. And this was common in the cults and in the false religions in Paul's day. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not guilty of this type of impurity. And Paul said, our, for our exhortation did not come from pure impurity. They were not guilty of this specific form of impurity. But that wasn't the main thrust of Paul's point here in verse 3. Paul's use of impurity referred to their motives. Referred to their motives. Their preaching and teaching of the gospel did not come from the motives of greed, personal gain, the desire for popularity or from pride or the applause of others. They were preaching and ministering not to draw people to them. They were preaching and ministering to point people to God. Paul said, our motives were pure. We simply wanted to make Jesus famous. Paul said, our motives were not from impurity. Our message was not false. Our motives were not from impurity. We were simply trying to make Jesus famous. That's what we're doing. We're preaching the word. We're teaching the word. Our exhortation is pure. It's to make Jesus famous. And so our motives today in ministering to others are vitally important for us to keep an eye on. Our motives in ministry are important for you and me in ministering to those God's placed around us. Very important for you and me because God sees our hearts and he knows our motives. You see, we need to make sure that our motives in ministering to others are pure and intended only to make Jesus, Jesus famous, not us. As we minister to those God places around us, we need to make sure, we need to guard our hearts, we need to make sure that all that we're doing in ministry and the way we're serving others and the way we're ministering to others and the way we're sharing Jesus with others, that all that ministry is from a pure heart, a heart and desire to make Jesus famous, not to get something in return or not to have them say that, well, how great we are, but to say how great Jesus is. The temptation, I firmly believe, the temptation to promote self in general and the temptation to promote self in ministry specifically has increased exponentially with the rise of social media. Increased exponentially. It's so easy now to sit and to share things from a heart that we must be careful, we must be honest, we must be genuine, we must be sincere. The temptation is there to share from a heart that really wants us to be famous. 
and maybe Jesus to be famous, but we certainly want some credit too. We've got to be careful. Paul said our message wasn't false. That's the false teachers. Paul said our motives were not impure. That's the false teachers. And the third point Paul said was our methods were not deceitful. So our methods were not deceitful. For our exhortation did not come from an intent to deceive. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not trying to trick or deceive the believers in Thessalonica by using sneaky, underhanded methods. This word deceive or deceit uh, in the original language literally means to bait. We bait a fish hook to try to trick the fish into thinking there's some free food in the water. While we know the whole time there's a hook that hurts underneath. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were not trying to bait the Thessalonian believers. They were not trying to take advantage of them. They were not trying to get rich off them. They were not trying to trick them into following Jesus. They were not trying to trick them into placing their faith in Jesus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they preached the word humbly and honestly. They were humble and honest as they preached the word. Their exhortation, what Paul's saying is our exhortation, our ministry, our, our preaching and teaching ministry, the message that we were sharing was not from an intent to deceive. No, we weren't trying to deceive you guys. We were humble before you. We were honest with you. These guys told the believers in Thessalonica, we've already read it. We've already seen it. They told them about the opposition about the suffering, about the trials that they were facing as followers of Jesus. They told them that that's what it means to live the Christian life. They did not preach the false message of the false teachers. They did not go around saying, come to faith in Jesus and all your problems will disappear. Come to faith in Jesus and everything will work out for you the way you want, when you want, how you want, exactly the way you want it to work out. They were not sharing and a false message. They were not trying to deceive them. Paul, Silas, and Timothy actually preached, come to faith in Jesus and look out, duck. Trials, opposition, difficulties, here they are. Welcome to the family. Come on in, enjoy yourself. They knew. They knew we're to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of various kinds because the testament of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must do its complete work. Endurance must do its complete work so we can be mature and complete, lacking nothing. They knew everyone who longs to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They knew that if the world opposed Jesus, then they would come after them. You see, Paul, Silas, and Timothy also were quick to tell them to put on the full armor of God, to rejoice in the Lord always, to dwell on things above, not on things on the earth. To rely on God's strength, not theirs. To be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. To endure opposition for Jesus. To watch for the return of Jesus. To remember this world's not our home. We're passing through on our way to our eternity one day in heaven with our Father. They were clear. They were humble. They were honest with these believers. 
What Paul was saying, if you want to summarize it in a nutshell, was, was simply this. Paul was saying that the content of our message, what we taught, was pure, sincere, and truthful. Paul said the intent of our message, how we taught, was pure, sincere, and truthful. Paul said the extent of our message, all we taught, was pure, sincere, and truthful. Paul was making sure that they understood the truth about their ministry, the truth about their message, the truth about their preaching and teaching. Paul shared the how. How did they preach the gospel of God in spite of great opposition? Well, they did so by the power of God at work in their lives. They relied on the power of God. This is so important for you and me today, for us to understand and realize that these same points are vitally important for us, that we must make sure that our message that we share, our teaching and our preaching ministry, the message that we share about Jesus, we need to make sure that it's not from error, that it's not faulty, that it doesn't lead people away from God, but instead draws people to God. We need to make sure that our motives in ministering to others, we need to make sure they're pure, they're they come from a heart that desires to be pure before the Lord, that desires to honor God and to make God's name famous, not our name famous. That comes from a desire to, to help folks get to the Father in any way we possibly can help them. And then we need to make sure that our methods and the methods of our ministering to others, the methods of our, our message and our preaching and teaching ministry, and as we serve one another and love one another, we need to make sure that those are not from an intent to deceive, that they're sincere, that they're genuine, that they come from a heart of love for one another, a desire to bless one another, a desire to truly minister to one another. And as we move forward in our exhortation, you have an exhortation ministry. I have an exhortation ministry. We all have an exhortation ministry. As we move forward in our exhortation ministry today and this week, let's just take it from right here, right now. Today and this week, as we move forward in our exhortation ministry, we need to make sure that we are moving forward in the power of God, not in ours. For the glory of God, not ours. You see, we have an amazing blessing from God, this exhortation ministry. I hope you've already been exercising your exhortation ministry this morning. There's a better than average chance that many, if not most of us already have, that you've already taken time this morning, be it in your own home or as you've made it to your church family this morning. Hopefully, prayerfully, you've already begun to use your exhortation ministry speaking truth in love, being a blessing to one another, being an encouragement to one another. Maybe you spoke a word of accountability to a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you asked a question of accountability to a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you've already prayed with a brother or sister in Christ. This exhortation ministry, it's 
24-7, 365 days a week. Understand and realize our exhortation ministry is not just for Sunday mornings. It's not just for our life teams. It's not just for our Wednesday night service opportunities. It's all the time. Our exhortation ministry. I just want you to take a moment and just dwell on that. Our exhortation ministry, our message, that's the message of God, the truth of his word, our preaching and teaching ministry, also our obeying ministry, living out what we're preaching and teaching. Understand and realize that's vitally important because if we're not living it out, nobody's going to listen. Hopefully and prayerfully, we're exercising that our exhortation ministry. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were exercising theirs, and they were making sure that these believers understood and realized, hey, there's a difference between our exhortation ministry and what you are seeing and what you are hearing in, uh, and around you, these false teachers, these messages that are coming to you. And if that was happening this day, can you imagine, and I'm sure you can, how much more that is happening today? It's vitally important that we understand that there's a difference. There's to be a difference in our exhortation ministry uh, than those uh, teaching false doctrines, uh, false gospel. Uh, there should be a difference. And so Paul shared the how of their ministry in verse 2. Now Paul shares the why of their ministry in verse 4. Paul shared in verse 4, instead... Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please God, not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. Paul said, instead. We see here that Paul used this word instead to transition us from verse 3 into verse 4 and beyond. How did Paul, Silas, and Timothy preach the gospel of God? Despite a great opposition, they did so by the power of God. Why? Here's the why. Why did Paul, Silas, and Timothy preach the gospel of God in spite of great opposition? The why is right here in verse 4. The answer is because they wanted to please God. They wanted to please God. They were not trying to please people. They were trying to please God. That's why they preached the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. Paul said, instead of trying to trick and deceive the Thessalonian believers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were trying to bless and help the Thessalonian believers. They weren't trying to trick or deceive them. Our exhortation did not come from impurity. It didn't come from error. It didn't come from an intent to deceive. Instead, they were trying to bless and help the Thessalonian believers. And Paul said here, he said, instead, just as we have been approved by God, Approved means to test, to examine, to scrutinize in order to prove the genuineness and sincerity of someone or something. Approved literally means to test, to examine, to scrutinize in order to approve, in order to prove the sincerity, the genuineness, the authenticity of someone or something. It's generally used of the process of assaying metals, of proving metals. Paul was saying that he, Silas, and Timothy, they were tested by God, they were examined by God, and they were scrutinized by God to make sure and to prove that they were ready to be of great use to God in service for God. So God tested them. He examined them. He scrutinized them in order to prove their faith, in order to prove they were ready for service for him. 
This word approved is in the perfect tense. Again, the perfect tense signifies an action that's happened in the past that has continuing effects in the present. So he said approved by God, action in the past that has continuing effects in the present. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were approved by God when they were saved by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy continued to receive God's approval in their lives, in their message, in their ministry, and their exhortation as they continued day by day to live out their faith in God by their obedience to God. So they were approved at that point of salvation. They continued to receive that approval. Why? Because God was testing, examining, and scrutinizing them. And they were living out their faith in God by their obedience to God. And so God was expanding their territory and platform for ministry. We see here as well, approved is in the passive voice. It wasn't only in the perfect tense, it was in the passive voice. That means the action was being done to them. That signifies that God was the one who was testing. God was the one who was examining. God was the one who was scrutinizing Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Their character, their faith, and their integrity proved to be genuine. It proved to be authentic. They practiced what they preached. They were not only talking the talk, but they were walking the walk and they were approved by God. Instead, Paul said, just as there's that contrast, instead, instead of think of it, instead of deceiving, no, they have been approved by God to be entrusted, to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul said that they were entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted means to have confidence in. God had confidence in Paul, Silas, and Timothy to preach the gospel of God fearlessly, courageously, faithfully, because they had been tested, examined, scrutinized, and approved by God. There is no greater honor for Paul, Silas, and Timothy than to be entrusted by God with the gospel of God. Think about that for a second. There's no greater honor that they could have ever received than to be entrusted by God with the gospel of God. They were entrusted by God to preach the gospel of God. They were entrusted by God to teach the gospel of God. They were entrusted by God to obey the gospel of God, which would support their teaching and preaching and exhortation ministry. Again, the gospel of God is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which opens the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is available to everyone who will believe in Jesus and receive Jesus by faith. And here's some good news for you and me today. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been entrusted by God with the gospel of God. We've been entrusted by God with the gospel of God. Listen, if that doesn't fire you up, I'm not sure what will. It's nine. It's the early service. I get it. It's a little bit more difficult. But that ought to fire us up. Jesus told us all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, observe everything I've commanded you. There's the entrusting. We've been entrusted. We have been entrusted. Are you kidding me? By God, with the gospel of God. God is at work in us. And what is his work? Well, part of his work in us is his testing, his examining, and his scrutinizing of us. Let that sink in. 
He has entrusted us as his kids with his gospel, and he is watching us. He's at the same point in time, because he's entrusted us, he knows our hearts. He sees our hearts. He knows our motives. We can't hide anything from him. He's testing us. He's examining us. He is scrutinizing us. Why? Because he wants to make sure that we are faithful in seeking in his strength, not ours, to walk out our faith in God by obedience to God, which allows us then to be proven faithful to share the message of God, the gospel of God, with those he places around us. I'm telling you, there is just amazing, as we've been saying, just unbelievable encouragement in this word, in, this, in these verses. And, and we've really, and I'll just let you know ahead of time, you can't even begin to think and imagine how good it's going to get as we make our way through. I mean, Paul's not even got, he's not even really started here in this passage. Man, I'm telling you, when we get to chapter 3 and we get in chapter 4 and 5, hold on tight. You're going to have to bring seatbelts here. Because this truth, I mean, he just gets going. And it is amazing. And even here at the beginning, when he's kind of laying the foundation, he's, he's tracing his ministry, he's defending his ministry, there's great encouragement for you and me. We've been approved by God, by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That alone, praise God. I mean, that alone, that's a drop the mic, we're good, we're out. We've been approved by God. That's beyond our understanding. But also, we've also been entrusted by God with the gospel of God. So understanding these truths, now we can see why Paul continued and finished verse four the way he did. As he continued and he said, instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy wanted to please God. They preached the word of God boldly and confidently and courageously and fearlessly because they were focused on pleasing God. They were more concerned with God's opinion of their ministry than people's opinions of their preaching and ministry. They knew God tested them. God examined them. God scrutinized them. God approved them. They knew God approved them. Paul was saying they were approved by God. Paul knew God approved them because he knew God saw, because he examines the heart, he saw the sincerity and the authenticity and the, the genuineness of their hearts, of their lives, of their passion for him. You see, God knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy wanted to please him. And so God trusted them with his gospel to share with others. And what God is doing in your life and in my life, even this morning, in the midst of great opposition, and we all understand that we're all here in the midst of great opposition. There's not one of us here in this room that is not in the midst of some form of great opposition. In the midst of great opposition, what God is doing is he's looking and he's observing and he's watching and he's testing and he's examining and he's scrutinizing each one of us because we have already been approved by him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We've been entrusted with his gospel to share with those around us. And he knows that the 
the fire is getting hot. He knows that the challenges are on the way. He knows that that opposition is right there in the middle of our front room and our grill and our minds and our hearts day by day, moment by moment. It may be relational. It may be health-wise. It may be a job-related situation. It may be school. I don't know what it is for you, but there is some area of great opposition that we are dealing with. And what he is doing is he is testing us. He's examining us. He's scrutinizing us because he wants to find out do we really want to please him? Do we want to honor him? Do we want to go with confidence in sharing the gospel of God to those he places around us? And as he sees and understands, and as he observes and he watches us and he sees our heart's desire is to please him, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for passion for him. He then changes us. He makes us more like Jesus. He strengthens us and he enables us in the midst of a great opposition we're facing in order to fulfill his plan for us. How do we do it? We do it by the power of God. Why do we do it? Because we want to please God. That's why. We want to please him. We want to please him. And Paul was saying all this opposition, all this, all these challenges were simply just pruning us. And making us more and more and more focused on our Savior Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, as Paul has shared and we know, Jesus endured great opposition for you and for me. Consider him endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. So what is our takeaway today? What is the, the point that God wants us to take as we move forward uh, this morning into this week? Here's a takeaway. It's real simple. It's just one point, uh, and, and we'll be ready then to follow God and obedience to God in, in uh, our exhortation ministry here in just a moment. Uh, here's the one point. We need to live our lives pleasing to God. It's real simple. We need to live our lives pleasing to God. God desires and deserves to be our number one priority. God wants us to focus again this morning, fresh and new, on pleasing him rather than pleasing people. We please God as we walk by faith in God. We please God as we walk in obedience to God. We please God as we talk with God. We please God as we rejoice in God's blessings in our lives. We please God as we rejoice in God's power at work in us. We please God as we endure opposition for Jesus. We please God as we watch for the return of Jesus. We please God as we depend on his strength, not ours. We please God as we rely on him, not on ourselves. You see, as followers of Jesus, please remember, you're not only disciples of Jesus, we're not only witnesses for Jesus, but understand and realize as followers of Jesus, we are also ministers for Jesus. God has given each one of us a congregation. Every one of us has a congregation. And for many of us here, obviously, at least one aspect of every one of our congregations is one another. He's given each of us a congregation. We're with part of our congregation right here, right now. And we please God as we share the gospel of God courageously. We please God as we share the gospel of God confidently. We please God as we share the gospel of God faithfully. We please God as we share the gospel of God fearlessly. We please God as we share the gospel of God 
lovingly. We please God as we share the gospel of God passionately. We please God as we share the gospel of God truthfully. We please God as we speak his truth in love to one another, to those who are in our congregation. We please God as we bless one another. We please God as we encourage one another. We please God as we forgive one another. We please God as we help one another. We please God as we love one another. We please God as we pray with and for one another. We please God as we serve one another. We please God as the content, intent, and extent of our message and our ministry is pure, sincere, truthful. And we please God as those approved by God and trusted with the gospel of God as we reach out and minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. God wants our exhortation ministry to be unleashed in these moments. In our ministering, in our encouraging, in our blessing, in our loving, in our praying. We also please God as we receive God's gracious gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer.